Welcome to our Upper Room service. Once a month we break from our normal series, which right now is a series we're doing called Growing in Christ. And we pause to remember Jesus as they ask us to do through communion. So whenever you do this in remembrance of me, well, in fact, you remember me. So we'll do that at the end of the message. So if you are watching online, joining us online today, it'd be a good time to, to gather what you need to participate. For those of you who are here in person, you'll find under the seats in front of you these small cups. You can grab it now. You can grab it when we need it at the end of the service. Normally for our upper room, we invite kids to come up for a short period, but we're going to do something different today. Moms and, and more likely dads, you are going to, uh, you're going to have to help your kids as most of the women or many of them are away at their annual retreat. You'll need to help your kids with a paper exercise that we're going to do this morning. Now the men had their retreat last week in Ocean City. Now I know the women rave about their retreat and the accommodations and the food, but you can't beat literally an entire dining room table piled at least a foot and a half high, full of nothing but junk food. That is the primary resource for dinner and lunch and breakfast. It's a perfect supplement to the boardwalk where you can find caramel, corn, pizza, cheesesteak subs, and of course, lots of ice cream. Dumzers, Coors Brothers, that was often for lunch and dinner, sometimes for breakfast if you got down there early enough, and hoopers, of course. Add in the morning devotions and all day night and banter, and it's a weekend that cannot be beat. Well, before we get going this morning, if you missed a message, any message of the year, and you'd like to catch up, you can do so by going online to www.ffcsermonorsermons.org, where you can listen online, you can download, you can even uh, do it via podcast. You can also go to www.ffcph.org, click on the live tab, and watch a previous message on YouTube or Facebook. Well, let's pray and see what God has for us this morning. Father, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you that we have indeed been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb, and that he so willingly came to shed that blood on our behalf, to redeem us, to pay that blood price for our redemption, to provide that atonement for sin. Father, we thank you for that this morning. And because of it, we rejoice not only in his death, but in his resurrection. And we thank you that we serve a resurrected God. We thank you for your presence again here in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on your way in, or when you got in here, each of you should have received a piece of paper. Now, yours is going to be white. Mine is blue, so it's a little easier to see. You'll want to have that handy as we start this morning. Today, throughout the world, people are hurting and killing each other. This isn't news. In fact, it's pretty much all the news is these days. But they're killing people who not, do not believe as they do. And in some countries, it is prohibited to talk about faith in our God, the God of the Bible. Afghanistan would certainly be one of those places. One reporter asked this question. How do you describe the current psychological state of the Afghan church? It is very difficult, came the answer now. Fear is dominant and believers think that they will be the next target. Many are trying to leave and some are getting help from international organizations. But it won't be possible to get 8,000 people out of Afghanistan. Some are going underground and we hear reports that some are heading toward the mountains where winter is coming. But by God's grace, they will be able to continue to live under the Taliban 
as salt and light. There was a man living in such a country who was about to be executed for telling others what he believed in God and for refusing to stop. He told them that killing and hurting people was not how a loving God wanted them to live. He then shared the simple gospel, the good news that Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth in order to show us how to live and that through his love for people, through his death and through his resurrection, he paid for all of their wrongdoing and overcame death and sin for everyone. On the evening before the man's scheduled execution, a senior arresting officer who had heard what this man had been telling people said to him, you say that your Jesus loves you and will save you and that he will never leave you or forsake you? He said, uh, you said he died on the cross for you? Then I have a challenge for your Jesus. And he handed the man a sheet of paper. And he said, we will give your Jesus a chance to save you. If you can make a cross from that piece of paper by tearing it only once in a straight line, we will release you. The next morning, the officers came with the arresting guard ready to execute the man, to kill him for talking about Jesus. Seeing the piece of paper on the floor in the cell, he laughed and said, ha, I see your Jesus has let you down. No, he hasn't, replied the man. He has told me what to do. And he reached down and he, he picked up the piece of paper. And he held it in his hand for what seemed like an eternity, so long that the guards began to move toward him to kill him. But then he began to fold the paper. And taking one corner, he folded it up to the other edge. You can do the same with the sheet of paper that you have there. Yours and those of someone next to you, if they're not so handy with their hands. Fold that piece of paper. And he paused again as if waiting for God to give him the next instruction. You could feel the tension build in the room. He was struggling with fear, but knew that God was with him. He then took that lower point and he folded it up to me to the opposite side of the paper. It should look like what you see there on the screen. Again, a pause as the air in the room seemed to grow thick and hot with anticipation. Keeping that point of paper toward him, he folded it in half along that center seam. Y'all with me so far? Didn't know you were going to be doing arts and crafts this morning. He made sure to crease from the point to the top edge. Once again, he folded that piece of paper in half. It's getting hard to fold there, parts of it, isn't it? Well, it is for me, I have thicker paper. It's a good thing I choose to go with something thinner. I'd never be able to get through this. He fingered the folded paper in his hands, and the guards reminded him, you only get one straight tear. He then took the end of the folded paper that was thinnest and, and slowly began to tear the paper down the center. You can do the same with me. And when he was done, there on the ground was a heap of small pieces 
of paper. Your God has let you down, exclaimed the guard. And slowly he picked up the largest piece of paper that was there and he he began to unfold it. And as he began to unfold it, the officers and guards watched in anticipation. And as he unfolded it, sure enough, there was a cross, a rugged cross. And there was silence in the room once more. True to his word, the guard said that he would let him go, but only on the condition that he stop talking about Jesus. But how could he? And as the man unfolded all of the other pieces of paper, he said, you've heard the message of salvation for all who believe in Jesus. He now has given me a message telling of all who refuse to believe in Jesus where they will spend eternity. He bent down and began to unfold and arrange these pieces of paper. And as he did so, they spelled out a word. And you might guess what that word is. One last piece of paper. Hell. You see, over in Mark's gospel, Jesus told us why he came. Verse 15 of chapter 1, he said, The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. Good news, that's the gospel. That's what gospel means. It means good news. What's the good news? Jesus said the time has come. The time has come and something's here. And what is that something that is here? It is the kingdom of God. And ever since the time when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and decided that they knew far more than God did what was good for them, God has been working on a plan, a plan to redeem us back into the kingdom, to restore us again, if you will, to the garden, back into his kingdom. And that way is through his son, Jesus. But there are consequences for rejecting God's offer. It's your choice. Believe or don't believe. But you cannot choose the consequences. And the consequences are an eternity of separation from God in a place that was never created for you or meant for you in the first place. Eternal fire, hell prepared for the devil and his angels. It's not party central. While ACDC may be going there on the highway to hell, I guarantee you it's not a place you'll want to follow them. It's a place of weeping and of great sorrow. It's a place you cannot escape other than by an atoning work, by someone else paying the blood price for your guilt. 
And that is what Jesus did on the cross when his side was pierced. When blood flowed from his hands, from his side, and from his feet. And by simply believing in our hearts and confessing with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and what he says, we can rearrange this word. We can rearrange this word to spell something else. Life. Jesus gives us life. As the officers and guards heard that word life, they eagerly sought to know how they too could be saved. And so he shared with them John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. The man in our story knew that Jesus would not let him down, even if that meant that he would die. And we do not know what happened to that man. But as he waited in his jail cell, he did not worry frantically about what would happen next or try to find a way out. You see, when fear meets faith, it always loses. When that faith is placed in a God who will not let you down, who cannot let you down. Isaiah gives this great promise when he says, Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. One of the great things about the Bible is that it's written in narrative or story form. It's not written like a textbook. And God reveals himself and the truth about himself through the lives of those that we discover in its pages. And because of that, I can relate to those I see who are struggling with the same things that sometimes I struggle with. I can see what God did for them and know that he can do that same thing for me. And as I think about fear and faith this morning, I'm reminded of Elijah the prophet that we read about in 1 Kings 17, 18, 19 in the Old Testament. Now, we don't have time this morning to dive into all the wonders of his story, and it is a fabulous story, well worth reading. And look at all the text. So let me catch you up on where we are in the story. Back in Elijah's day, there was a king, and King Ahab was the king of Israel, and he was a very wicked king who married an evil woman named Jezebel. Always reminds me of that ELO song, right? Evil woman, right? That's a terrible impression. Don't ever let me do that again. They led Israel to abandon the Lord and to worship Baal, among other pagan gods. Jezebel was one bad, I mean, this is one bad chick. Her, her whole bent in life was to go around finding prophets and people that disagreed with her and making sure they were permanently silenced. But that didn't stop Elijah. And as a warning to return to the Lord, the prophet Elijah, he had warned Ahab to repent. And because of Ahab's refusal, there had been three years of drought in Israel. Now, that, that, that just didn't happen all by itself. 
God commanded Elijah to tell the rain to stop. And not only did it not rain, there was no dew, there was nothing. It was bone dry for three years. And our story begins at the end of these three years. As Elijah came out of hiding to confront King Ahab and the people of Israel. And we see him fearlessly challenge the prophets of Baal to one of the most amazing Amazing show-offs and showdowns and, and uh, throwdowns that you can read about in the Bible. And in a mighty display of power, God shows up for Elijah while Baal accomplishes nothing. Elijah then executes all of the prophets and Baal in one courageous extreme event. Afterwards, he prayed to God and the rain suddenly began again. And that drought came to a miraculous end. Finally, in, in one one event that almost seems like God's showing off, he gave Elijah superpower, a superhuman speed and endurance in order to be able to outrun Ahab's chariot as the king returned home to his wife Jezebel. Amazing stuff. And Elijah was right there for all of it. Yet, after all of that courage and fearless obedience to God, Elijah receives a message from King Jezebel, Queen Jezebel that terrified him absolutely shook him to his core. The message promised that by the same time the next day, she would do to Elijah just like he had done to all the prophets of Baal. And fear overtook him. And in spite of everything God had done in the last 24 hours to prove himself, Elijah could only think of all the prophets that Jezebel had already tortured and killed. Filled with fear, he ran for his life until he was exhausted. Defeated in mind and body and spirit, he lay down under a tree and he begged God to take his life. And in verse 9 and 10 of chapter 19, God asked Elijah what he's doing there. And the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. You can hear him almost go boo-hoo-hoo. He's just so overwhelmed with fear and so anxious about what's going on. You ever have those days when it feels like the whole world is against you? It's just come down on you? Now, I was with my mother and sister yesterday, and I told my mother I was going to talk about her this morning. So here comes mom. <laughs> my mother would have those days when we were kids, and there were four of us against one of her. So you see how this goes. It's a battle, let me tell you, when you have four young children, and you're the only one at home. Four of us against one of her. And you could always tell when she was reaching that point because she would put her hand on her head and exclaim, Lord, have mercy on my soul. And we knew when we heard that that we were pushing the envelope to its limit. And you better be careful because she might blow. And if you heard just wait until your father comes home, you might as well start packing now and hit the road and get a head start because it was not going to be a good day. Well, what happens next in our story is one of my favorite moments in Scripture because God comes down and he cares for one of his dearly loved children. He did not scold Elijah. He did not come down to Elijah and throw all that had just happened into his face. Instead, he came to Elijah in person and he miraculously attends to his physical needs, providing food and water 
and a safe place to sleep. He wasn't muttering, after all I've done for you. He cared for him long enough to prepare him for a 40-day journey into the wilderness. God then led Elijah to Mount Sinai, the famous mountain of God where God had spoken to Moses previously and to the people of Israel on numerous occasions. There, after 40 days of tenderly caring for his own, God finally addresses Elijah's fear. God had already displayed his power. I'm certain Elijah did not doubt it or need God to prove it again, but God puts on an amazing display of his power. He has Elijah stand on the mountain and witness a tornado, witness an earthquake, and then witness a raging fire. But God didn't show up in any of those because the root of Elijah's fear was not a lack of faith in God's power. It was a lack of trust in his plan. He knew what God could do. But he also knew that Jezebel had killed a lot of God's people and, and God had done nothing to stop her. He feared for his life and, and what uh, might be asked of him. And it created all sorts of fear in him. He didn't know what the plan was. Elijah was tired and weary and beaten down by this fallen world. And he believed that he was done. Isn't that often the problem? Not only do we believe we're done, we believe that we are the only one. We think they're the only one going through this special problem. And he couldn't bear the thought of losing his life at the hands of a woman who had wiped out every other person of God. Or so he thought. God knew all this. And he didn't come to him in might. Instead, he simply came to him in a whisper. A whisper of truth. And he said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And here's what he said. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. You are not alone, Elijah. He gently intimated there are 7,000 others who have never bowed to Baal. You are not alone. My plan does not include the destruction, the annihilation of my people. Ahab and Jezebel, their days are numbered. And I have already set in motion a plan for their successors. Not only that, I have already repaired someone who will follow you, Elijah. And his name is Elisha. And he's going to do mighty things in my name. So get up and go finish the work that I have called you to do. Trust me. I am worthy. I hope you can hear the tenderness and see it in God's response as he deals with this brother who is just wrapped in fear. Remember, it said this was done in a gentle, loving whisper. That's all it took. Elijah did what God asked, and he went and found Elisha. And he spent the remainder of his life here on earth faithfully serving God and preparing Elisha to take over. And in the years that followed, God gave Ahab several chances more to repent. But just when it seemed like he would, he turned back to evil. And his days were indeed numbered among the dead and the evil. Elijah, on the other hand, was only one of two people in history who never died taken up in a chariot of fire. God's good plan for him included one of those amazing miracles that we read about in scriptures when he was taken up to heaven. Now God hadn't told him up on Mount Sinai how this story would end. He had simply whispered truth and Elijah's 
trust had been restored. God had put back in, into a right place where he belonged in Elijah's mind. And fear was defeated. Do you have any doubt that God can do any less for you? He is a faithful God, just as he was for Elijah. When we fall into those periods of fear in our life and we seem overwhelmed, God can do what he did for Elijah. He can do for you. What a story of what happened when fear meets faith in a God who does not fail. David penned these words in Psalm 56. Worship team, you can make your way back up. He said, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I trust and I am not afraid. Who can, what can mere mortals do to me? All day long they twist my words. All their schemes are for my ruin. They conspire, they lurk, they watch my steps, hoping to take my life. Because of their wickedness, do not let them escape. In your anger, God, bring the nations down. Record my misery. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. But this I will know, that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can men do to me? Let's remember him this morning, that one who died for us, who took our place, paid the debt that we owed, that we could not pay, so that we could have life eternal with him. First Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If you peel back that upper tab, we will find the cracker. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for that sacrifice of Jesus' body on the cross, that it was broken for us, stretched wide, and blood spilled. Father, we thank you that he did indeed shed his blood on our behalf, because without the shedding of blood, there can be no cleansing, no remission of sin. We thank you for it. We thank you for his body broken. In Jesus' name. After supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your son. We thank you that his blood was so freely spilt and that we are redeemed redeemed because of that blood, redeemed and we can proclaim it gladly, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Father, we thank you that you are a God who does not fail, who is always there, who strengthens us, in whom we can trust, and that we can run to you like a strong tower and know that you are there for us. Father, we thank you for his blood spilt on our behalf and his body broken, and we remember him this morning.
message is the same way by saying, know that God is for you and not against you. But he will be one day if you refuse to believe. You have a chance. Today is the day of salvation. Do not miss this opportunity. You do not know what a day will bring forth. He's for you, waiting to redeem you, waiting to give you life anew. Simply by saying, God, I want, I want that. I want what he's talking about. I confess my sin, come into my life, become Lord of my life, and you enter into a whole new family and into a kingdom of the way it was meant to be. Faith, have a good day in Jesus. Know that he's for you and not against you. Amen.